Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education toward other opportunities. Hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard pivoted out of campus-based positions and have experienced success by translating our education skills into a new career path. With almost 16,000 downloads across our 35 episodes in our previous seasons, the need is clear and we're back for Season 3. For show notes and information about the podcast, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. Our inboxes are clear that you all need support with your pivot. Therefore, if you're thinking about pursuing an opportunity outside of your campus-based position or know someone who is, check out our website for pivoting resources and our consultation services. If you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Now, sit back and get ready to be inspired. Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And we are here today with Liz Gross. Did I say your last name right? Absolutely. It's just like you gross. Okay. I mean, it it seemed obvious, but like in that split second that I said it, I was like, what if it's not that? So thank you because I've seen your name a lot, but I've like literally never said it. But we are really excited to have you on the show I think your story is is quite inspirational with sort of, I must have heard you on a podcast or something, because I feel like I know your story. It, I tell it, it to anyone who will listen. That could be, that could be why, but if I'm remembering it and didn't dream it, it was, it was kind of organic that you kind of created this pathway for yourself, which I think is fascinating. And, you know, to your point, you also suggested someone else at your company for us to have on the show as well, which we'll be having on the season um, that maybe had a bit of a more traditional path. But I still still think it's pretty cool to hear um, about your unique one that happened ancient amount of years ago, <laughs> 10 years ago, I know you shared. It's wild to think <laughs> that we are not quite if you count the months, but yes, in terms of years, it has been 10 years since I worked on a yeah. campus. Well, um, that that's longer ago than Tom and I. So we're excited to hear um, how, how your path has been and uh, maybe even what your thoughts are for the future. Would you ever go back to a campus space position? But I am for sure getting ahead of myself and us. If you could just get started by telling us a little bit about your background, where, where did you kind of work when you were in campus space positions? And then kind of what drove your pivot out and, and where did you end up? Sure. So yes, my name is Liz Gross. Ew, gross, or a dozen dozen is also a gross, if you want to think about it that way. I have been born, raised, and lived most of my life in the state of Wisconsin. I've worked on two University of Wisconsin state system campuses and attended three different campuses for grad or undergrad, grad, and doctorate work. Both of the graduate degrees were in educational leadership. So I was clearly setting myself up for a path in education. I started in student affairs with a marketing bent. So my first job was in uh, campus housing at a R1 public university that is not in Madison, in Wisconsin. And, but it was for marketing and outreach of campus housing. I did not have to live on campus as a professional ever. I lived the RA life and that was enough. 
Uh, I was there for five and a half years, and that was the time period of 2005 to 2010, which was when we went through the whole, like, is Facebook evil? Do we mm -hmm. have to ban it on campus? Wait, social media could be professional. Can you friend your students was like oh, a yeah. really hot topic in like NASPA and ACPA journals. So it was kind of like the birth of social media as a professional communication channel, certainly in higher education. So in the five and a half years that I was there, I you know, ran a website, did info sessions, did a bunch of like traditional marketing stuff, but was also figuring out what it meant for our department and our university to be on social media. And I kept making it more and more a part of my job. I worked it into my master's thesis. I started to work it mm -hmm. into my doctoral work. And when I eventually left that job, I became the marketing director at a community college within the University of Wisconsin state system. I was there for two years. And the reason I applied for that job, in addition to wanting to move up and get a fancy director title, was that it was the first marketing director job position I saw that had social media in the position description. Hmm. It was listed as like 10%. <laughs> <laughs> it also was three people's jobs that I was doing as one person, but that was why I applied for that job. So I was kind of like working my way into this social media marketing communications niche. And after just under two years in that role, my pivot came. So I left higher education campus-based employment in the end of 2012, nearly 10 years ago, yeah. uh, with a network and a background in marketing and digital and student affairs and all of that. I don't know if it's, you want me to jump right into the pivot, but that's what took me to leaving. I wasn't looking to leave. I'll, I'll leave that there. Yes, I thought I was going to be a vice president of student affairs, and that was my career path. <laughs> that is something we all share in common. <laughs> I, I was just about to say, I think Jamie and I both thought that. Uh, and I think a lot of our listeners think that, right? Like we go into higher ed and we all assume we're on the track to be a dean of students or a vice president for student affairs. And particularly when you start, right? Like a good chunk of people in student affairs start in res life or they start in one of those, those roles where there's a lot of individual contributors. And then the pyramid just gets smaller and smaller as you, as you work your way up. And there's only so many assistant deans and so many deans and so many VPs. Um, and so it's definitely something we share in common. And, and, you know, I've told my story a few times, but it's, I realized when I hit the assistant dean mark, oh, I don't want to be a vice president for student affairs. That looks horrible. Um, and, you know, I was able to pivot out. So I, I appreciate that, that sort of you, everybody thinks that that's where they're going, but that's not where that, there's just not enough VPs of student affairs for everybody in higher ed to eventually be one of those. And I could have been one. I just didn't end up being one. And to jump ahead to your later question, Jamie, I don't ever want to be one or a VP of marketing. It's not where I'm going to end up. Uh, bless so, the people who do. So talk to us about your current role and what it is that you do and and, you know, sort of more specifically what you like about it, what you don't like about it, what's the day-to-day -day function look like. So if somebody wants to sort of do what you do and is listening to this podcast, how would they go about doing it? Yeah. So if I may, I'll talk about my first pivot role and then I'll skip everything in the middle and jump right to what I'm at right now. 
The role I pivoted to was social media strategist at Great Lakes Educational Loan Services. The same people I was writing checks to every month <laughs> for That's my great. student loans. Uh, and I was not looking to leave. I was asked to apply for that job multiple times because they knew me as an independent contractor who had come in as a subject matter expert on a few webinars that they had been giving for financial aid professionals about digital communications. But the more I talked to them, uh, the more I was intrigued by the opportunity. So there were a few, I think back about why did I pivot? I wanted to spend more time working on social media. And again, 2012, I could probably count on one hand the number of dedicated social media positions, particularly at like a mid-level or a leadership level that existed on campus. So I wanted to focus on social media and higher ed was being slow to do that. I really wanted to build something new. Uh, every job I'd had before then, it was either a brand new job or one where they'd completely rewritten the job description before I came in. So I love building new things. I was aligned with the mission of the company. So the, the student loan servicer was owned by a nonprofit that was dedicated to access and completion in higher education. And that's what their profits went to. And I wanted to make more money. Uh, I got a 50% raise to go to that job. So that was great. So I became a social media strategist, uh, man created and managed social media accounts for the company um, at a time when not every company even had that role. So took the pivot, learned a ton, winding road that is not the focus of this podcast. And I sort of created the role that I have now somewhat accidentally. I am now the CEO of Campus Sonar, which is an agency that helps campuses become more audience-centric via social listening. And I started that position, or I started that company while I was still working at the student loan servicer because I pitched them and convinced them to fund the company. So it's not necessarily a magic recipe for replication, uh, but it, it is something that I don't think is completely impossible in, in other circumstances because more and more medium and large size companies are creating these like incubators within them to think through new ideas, either acquire companies or grow companies. And at the time, that was what the student loan servicer wanted to do. And I was actually supporting it from a market research perspective by that time. And I was doing my thing. Like, I feel like I never left higher ed. I want to be really clear about that. I consider myself a higher education professional. I was still teaching campus-based professionals in online professional development courses. I was continuing to attend conferences. I presented my dissertation at ACPA while I was in one of these roles. Uh, and I was writing both on my personal blog and for industry outlets to the audience of campus-based professionals because I finally had this view of, I have a corporate budget and corporate resources and I can do the things I wanted to do back when my marketing budget for entire campus was $25,000. <laughs> So it was through that teaching and speaking that I presented essentially what I thought was an easy to follow roadmap of how to use social listening to be a better marketer, to be a better recruiter and enrollment professional, to be a better, better alumni relations professional. And after I presented that to a packed room at a conference, uh, the, the comments were all the same. This is amazing. We all need to do this. I don't know how to do it. It's too expensive. I don't have the people, like all of the reasons why it can't be done. 
So I took that problem, complained about it at work, and the person who was in charge of kind of setting the agenda for the new business pitch meetings told me to fix the problem and pitch it as a business. So that was how I started Campus Sonar. I first pitched it back in 2017. We launched later that year, and we are now, gosh, almost five years into business, have worked with nearly 100 campuses, and I see oversee a small team that ranges in size from 10 to 12 depending on where we're at with hiring. But yeah, I created the job and that's awesome. didn't know what I was doing while I was doing it. I just happened to work somewhere that encouraged that sort of entrepreneurship was what I started to call it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that resonates with, um, <clears throat> we had a, another guest on an, on an episode talking about this idea that like, you know, two thirds of these roles, um, that exist outside of higher ed. Maybe we, you know, could, could learn them. Someone else could do them, but there's like a third of it where it's like, we're able to bring our expertise to really help shine a light on what gaps might exist. And, and I think that you've, I mean, well, I don't know about the two third part as far as your role didn't exist, but, um, but, you know, I do think that we, if you pair us with business people, we, we make a good, you know, I mean, we, we, I, I'm sure you would agree. We be, become more business-minded because you have to. Absolutely. But, um, I, but I don't is- know if I ever would have started this business or even considered starting my own business had I not spent time outside of a campus yeah. role. Yeah. But then we realized too, you know, I, I try to help campus folks think through like we're, we're not we're not trying to compete with things on campuses. There is just as a reality that we have the ability to specialize and become experts in something. And some of that is just because we can change more quickly. Um, And some of it is resources, but you know, that, that we can really complement the work that's being done on campuses. And I think there's a lot of functions that and yours is a good niche example as far as social media. Like there's there's a lot of different areas um, where there are still gaps that um, folks could go adjacent to fill if they, you know, they just have to find the right people to invest or to partner with. Right. So I, and I have really come example. to understand that I will not be fulfilled if the work I'm doing is only for the benefit of a single institution. I really want to be able to do things that impact the industry as a whole. And then in terms of students and professionals have the largest impact they can. And that has to be something that is multi-campus in nature. And for me, that's why adjacency makes a ton of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that you've stayed involved in the profession. I'm taking us on a bit of a tangent here, but Tom, you know, I am passionate about this. We, our listeners will, will, will understand that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whatever you normally take us on tangent, my turn this time. But I've talked about this on on the show. But I've I did find I have found it interesting that the profession hasn't necessarily been. And I, and when I say the profession, I'm really talking about the two associations. It hasn't re- like the way in which I feel like they see adjacent people is different than. Um, when I worked worked on a campus and I was just curious, you know, I give the example that like one one day I was literally on the faculty council for NASPA and the next day I was no longer eligible to serve in a leadership position. I just was curious if that 
has been your experience or if, if it was a bit different. And I think it matters to people because a lot of people do. I mean, Tom misses his NODA days. Uh, I think he'd probably still attend NODA if he could, but um, <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of people that do wonder about that part of their professional identity. Yeah. And it, I mean that your observation, yes, is true for the most part and not just within student affairs. So I spend most of my time now uh, with the marketing professional organizations and to a lesser extent, the admissions. And it depends. So it depends what role you have in a company. And it also depends on how much you are willing to give uh, of yourself to some of these organizations and how like unique your contribution can be because if they can get the same thing from someone with a campus affiliation, they will absolutely almost always choose that. Uh, But for example, when I presented the idea that then became campus sonar, I was, I submitted it to the conference. This was the American marketing association symposium for higher education. Uh, and received a response back from the program chair. We love your idea. We really want you to present it. You're not allowed to do it unless you have a campus-based professional. Yes. So I called the software company that I use, asked them for their higher ed client list and cold called people to <laughs> say, do you want a free registration to this national conference? If you'll present about me or present with me on something that it sounds like you know how to do. So we oh. were strangers when we presented, but it was that name that allowed me to do it. Um, On the flip side, I've also been paid to speak at some of these conferences. Like now they want me to be a keynote. So it it is all over the place. But uh, most recently, one of my staff members wanted to, uh, on their own time, serve as the chair of an event for an association that they had previously worked on as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And they were that unless they paid for the affiliate membership to join the association, they could no longer serve in that role. And besides the fact that at the drop of the hat, I would have paid for them to have the membership on principle. They were like, no, I, I refuse if my change in job suddenly made me not (laughs) good enough. So there, there is definitely some relationship building that can be done with each association. But if, if you're a name on paper, and your affiliation no longer says university or college, you are treated differently 100%. And you just have to expect it and work with it. And if you come with content, I'd say 60% of the time, there's a way to be involved. But it's a different door that you're walking through than you did before. Well, your solution was very creative. I was, I've been more like, well, forget that then. <laughs> but- I need these conferences for my business. Yes, it is a bit of a different um, lens, but I mean, I have to be, I really have actually co-presented with campus partners only when it has organically presented itself. But yeah, it's just been an an interesting dynamic. Moving back on script, I, I think it would be great to hear about, because you, you were an early pivoter, what do you think are some of, um, what, of the skills or characteristics that you've seen of of other folks who have pivoted, perhaps people that you have hired, what are some of the key things that you found that has helped them to be successful and yourself included? Yeah. So definitely a willingness to advocate for new and different ideas, even if in the past, maybe they've been shut down. That was key for me 
for sure. Uh, really strong communication skills. Every position we have, no matter where you're sitting in the organization, requires excellent writing because we're going to be communicating with the public <laughs> on a regular basis. If you're looking to join an organization that is in any way, shape, or form a startup, and I am learning as the CEO of a startup that that means at least 10 years or younger, (laughs) we will be a startup for the next five years. Uh, You need to be ready to change and adapt uh, on on the regular, which you folks on campus have had a lot of experience in the last few years, for sure. Uh, But also recognize that um, documentation and procedure and the way it's always done may not exist. And what I've noticed for folks is, uh, particularly our old timers, uh, folks listening, that's air quotes for old timers, people who've worked with us for three or more years, they've had to learn four different ways to do things already. So if you came in and learned how to do something and after eight months, you think, you know, you think, you know, the way it goes, it's probably going to change the next day. So, Uh, being able to roll with that and and be okay with it. More and more, the ability to collaborate remotely is incredibly important because a lot of companies like mine are going fully remote. For me in particular, I think some things that were really helpful and continue to be helpful were a really strong network in higher education. And if you're going adjacent, that becomes incredibly important because relationships are what drive everything. And not only did I bring a network with me, but I've continued to grow it by contributing back to the profession. Uh, The other thing that I think helped me get to the point where I could accidentally start a business was strategic thinking and follow through on the plans that I made. You can come up with a lot of plans and people will forget that you came up with them if you don't keep following through. But I also learned a lot of stuff on campus that was really helpful to me. And I think about things I learned on campus that I don't think I would have learned elsewhere. My ability to navigate a professional conference and present at them has been incredibly helpful now that I am the one in the exhibit hall. And I know what it was like to be the one being given the side eye <laughs> by vendors. I know what it's like to be in their shoes. So I can mold my own approach to that. The fact that I, in my role as a marketer, had to sit through a bunch of vendor calls to to evaluate a product and learn to talk with folks, like being a consistently uh, pitched customer can also make you really good on the other side of that equation. So I don't have formal sales training, but I've turned into a pretty good salesperson because of these sorts of experiences that I can fall back on. Um, I became an excellent supervisor because if that's, there's many things Res Life does well, but at least where I was at training people to supervise other people at a very young age in their career was something that they really excelled at. So, uh, you know, when I was 23 years old, I was supervising a dozen staff (laughs) and that's unheard of (laughs) in corporate America. So I got really good at supervising people. I also got really good at self-reflection and self-awareness because they forced us to write like a five or six page self-evaluation every single year. And I still do that for myself and it makes me a better leader. So a lot of those things translate just not in exactly the way that you think that they might. Yeah, those are really good points and and ones that I've never really thought about. Although I will say that my goal is to no longer supervise people. Um, So everybody that I supervise that's listening to this, it's not you, it's me. But one of the things that you brought up, Liz, that I want to 
dive a little bit into is you, you talked about networking and the importance of networking. And I think people hear that term a lot. And in higher ed, I, I, I don't know if it's always super well-defined. Like I heard it a lot too, right? You need to network. But then I'm like, I don't know how to do that, especially in a pandemic when events might be a little bit less, um, less in-person and more virtual. Like what are your recommendations for folks who, when you, when they hear you need to build your network, but then don't know how, um, what are your recommendations for them? Right. Um, so it's probably not surprising if I run a social listening company that I say listening is key to networking, but it really is. And social media allows us to listen to professional conversations in a way that we couldn't before and participate in them. So for most folks, I would consider Twitter and LinkedIn to be the places you have to be if you want to be building a professional network in higher education or in any other industry and use that search function and follow anyone you think is interesting. It doesn't matter if they're at entry level or if they're the head of a company. And on LinkedIn, like use that follow button instead of the connection if you don't actually know them. So you can just start to see what people are talking about learn and listen, and then enter into conversation. If you think about how we update our own personal social media, a lot of times we are asking rhetorical questions to the world or asking questions that we want people to answer, whether we know them or not. Uh, Be the one that starts answering questions because it doesn't mean that you have to know how to do everything. It's that you have a perspective that is important to share. And then as you start building these connections, ideally also talking about non-work things sometimes, like People just know who you are and what you stand for and what comes up in conversation regularly. And if you want to go the extra mile, like publish a few things, whether that's a podcast or blogs about your thoughts or a newsletter, um, that is how you then begin to attract people to you as an individual who want, who want to be involved and in that dialogue with you. Um, And it's little by little, (laughs) day by day. But if you do that over the course of a year, I'd be very surprised if you didn't have a hundred like low to medium level connections with folks that you would at least say, I know them. Maybe they're not your friend, but you know them. And you would have never had the chance to do that at a conference ever. But having done that now for like 13 years, that's a four figure number of people that I air quote, no, some of them I know really well. Some of them I've hired because we entered into conversations on social media. And for me, it's always been Twitter and LinkedIn. And there's a few Facebook groups that are worth the time uh, to also build those relationships in. But you can start by just listening and then answering questions and then being brave enough to ask your own at some point. It's not that hard, but it can feel scary to put yourself out there the first time. Yeah, I think it's 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 I think you, well, everything you said is, is you know is right on, right? It's it's the things that we've talked about as well. I think you know, it's, I myself I'm an introvert, right? And so the 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 pandemic has actually been great for me in terms of building my network because it's forced me to do the things that are actually easier for me to go onto LinkedIn and to build those relationships and and to follow people that are both thought leaders as well as people that work in indus- in the industry that I work in and um the good thing is I no longer have to go to the conferences and sort of like 
like I remember very clearly, I went to my first conference that I start when I started at the, at the organization that I'm at now, and it was like they had a customer party, and I walked into the customer party, and there were three thousand people in this ballroom socializing. I walked in, and I literally turned around and walked right back out. I was like, I can't do this. This is too much. This is overwhelming. Um, and so now, with the with with you know sort of social media being the really the place to build the network, um, you know, it's actually become easier for those of us who are a little bit more afraid of it. Um, so I appreciate appreciate that advice, and and I think that it's 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 well it's it's well placed. And and what I hope our listeners, one of the points I hope our listeners took away is when you talked about it, you know, over time and slow. And I, I think we have a tendency to want to like jump in and do it all. And so like go follow a hundred people all right now. And and it's you want to be strategic. Who are you following? Who are the thought leaders in the space? Who are the people that are working in the jobs that you might be interested in? Um, I think all of that's really important. So I, I really appreciate sort of your insight there and appreciate the little bit of a curveball question at you. Yeah. I actually um, want to throw two really quick additional tips out there. One, yep. if you really feel like you connect with someone, do not be afraid to take that connection to a private me- message and say, would you like to hop on the phone or a Zoom for 30 minutes? I know Jamie said Josie Alquist was uh, one of the folks who said I should be on this podcast. That is how I met Josie a cold DM of, Hey Liz, I've seen you on Twitter. Uh, we should talk. This was back when we were both in grad school. And she's one of my closest friends and we've collaborated in business multiple times. The other thing I would say is if you are putting stuff out there and you're not always getting a reaction, that doesn't mean people aren't paying attention. The interesting thing of me standing in a booth at a conference is people will come up to me who I have never talked to online and tell me about a thing I wrote six months ago that they read and remembered, but they are not the type of person that replies or clicks. So people are paying attention and you are building connections, even if you're not seeing parts or replies or whatever the heck the algorithm is training you to want. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it, Liz. Uh, networking has always been sort of a, a, a social construct for me that was difficult. And so I appreciate you being able to sort of provide that advice because I doubt I'm the only one that, that sort of has had that. So, um, okay. So we've obviously gotten a lot of advice from you. We've gotten a lot of uh, sort of what it is that you do, but what I'd like is for you to maybe, and this might be hard. I tell people this all the time. We want you to sum it up in one sentence, but if you need two, it's totally fine. Uh, so it can be a sentence with a semicolon? It can, it, yes, it can be a sentence with a semicolon. So if you can sum up or provide sort of that best piece of advice for folks who are potentially out there thinking, it's time for me to make the pivot and it'll be their first pivot, what would you say to them? All right. If you're planning a pivot, don't get hung up on job titles semicolon. Your career is a journey, not a ladder to climb. Oh my God. That feels like a banner that needs to go like up in every high school and college. That was perfectly well stated. I've thought about it a little bit. (laughs) Well, it has been really such a pleasure um, having you on the podcast. I really appreciate you being a part of the a part of our our venture here. And obviously being able to sort of get to know you is uh, expanding our network as well. So For all of those who are out there listening to us, make sure that you check the show notes for Liz's uh, information. We'll put her LinkedIn profile there. Liz, I assume that's okay with you, right? LinkedIn profile, Twitter. If I can do a little bit of shameless self-promotion this year, I also started a personal newsletter. So if you'd like some stuff from me in your inbox that you can reply to and network, and I will respond, uh, that is at eldermillennialleader.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. Again, listeners, make sure that you check our show notes for the contact information and make sure that you join us next week for another 
great episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. For show notes and more information about the podcast and our consultation services, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. 